0: been a good morning, hasn't it? Well, hopefully that will continue. Last week, if you were here, today's, the title of today's message, as you heard in song, is Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Um, We've been in this, in this theme of talking about relationships, and it kind of goes to some insights that I feel like God kind of led me to and has been using uh, from a guy named Gary Smalley who talks about the three strands of relationships. It's, one is I am made for relationships. The Two is I was made with a capacity to choose. And three, I was made to take responsibility. Those three things come into play with every relationship that we are in. And what happens is, what gets in the way of, of uh, healthy relationships is conflict. We introduced this concept of the fear dance last week, and I want to pick up from that and go further into it. The fear dance is this. You and I all have key needs that we, that we feel. Men like to feel respected, or need to feel respected. Women need to feel treasured. From that, men will a lot of times want control. Women will usually want connection. When those things, we find those, those wants in jeopardy, it stirs fear in us, and it causes us to react. And we'll do what it takes to try and keep that from happening. We will hold on to that control that we're looking for, we'll hold on to that connection because we don't want to lose them. So that's the essence of the fear dance. And it always starts with, I hurt, goes to, I want, and I fear, and then I react. And... If you remember last week, we talked a little bit about, you know, what is it that causes us to step into this dance? What is it that, you know, this is a, where do these dance steps come from? And we looked at a video called, I think it was nine, nine dance moves from babies that you need to add to your repertoire. And it showed these little babies just dancing and they're just moving and whatever came naturally. When we react, we're just expressing ourselves, right? Just doing what comes naturally. Unfortunately, those reactions spark the cycle with the other person and they follow suit. They react, it starts the cycle with us again. They react, or we react, starts the cycle. That's the nature of conflict is we are looking to have our key needs and wants met in somebody else and when they fail us, we'll do anything we can to try and hold on to it. Notice that the cycle begins with, I hurt. What that means is I, you know, um, it starts with, I hurt. And my reaction is going to be an effort to try and keep that from happening again. I don't want to hurt like this, so I'm going to try and get you to change so that doesn't happen. That ultimately leads to a reaction from you that ends up hurting me again. If we don't break this cycle, we we end up in a standoff, hurting the other person to try and make sure they don't hurt us again. It kind of looks like this little short video clip from Finding Nemo. Mana from heaven, sweet nectar of life. <laughs> hey, 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 this hey, is our spot. Come on, get out of here. Oh, oh. Hey, 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 Yeah, that's... Too right, mate. Oh, oh, I got a live one here. Hey, can you see my dad? Gotcha. <laughs> you. Hey, come back here. You let him go. Hey, hey, hey. Once we start hurting claws come out, and we'll do what it takes to keep you from doing it again. Amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? That really captures the fear dance. Next time you think of a conflict, or next time you're in a conflict, try to picture those crabs. Do you have your claws ready to go? Are you ready to strike the moment they disrespect you again? Are we sitting there ready to strike anybody at any time because we're just not going to let our buttons get pushed? In conflict, it really doesn't matter, and this may sound weird, but it really doesn't matter whether they intended to hurt you or not. The fact is is that when we hurt, fear kicks in that it's going to happen again, and we react. So the, the thing that's a common denominator with any of them is that reaction that we give. And like I said, it, we somehow think that if I, if I somehow can do something to change their behavior, they'll come to their senses and won't do that again. But it doesn't happen that way. Take a look at Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It makes sense to try and do something to try and stop the other person. That's the, that's the dance step that we learned as kids. But What happens? It damages the relationship. Remember this. Our original hurt stemmed from them disrespecting or we felt disrespected or dishonored. So if we go and try to control them in any shape, shape or form, it disrespects them and dishonors them. And their reaction is going to be, strike back. So it's a cycle that that just results in this standoff. How do we break that? Well, we got to learn some new dance moves. You got to come in and do something different. It challenges this what we're going to talk about today will challenge our instincts. It does not come naturally. But it has hope of breaking that cycle. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 through 39. Jesus says this, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You picture the crabs? Hey, hey. But I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, obviously, Jesus only meant that to be at church with people that we like, correct? Correct? That doesn't apply at work and it certainly doesn't apply at home. Right? No. Jesus did not put any limitations on where this should be applied or when. Like I said, this does not come naturally and it is a new line of thinking. Remember that we were given the capacity to choose and to take responsibility. Our buttons will get pushed Every day. It's our choice how we will react. Now you may think, and I may think it's the other person that's the problem. But I've got a little bit of an illustration here to kind of help us see that really it's more of what's going on inside of us. Think of if you're at Walmart and you go and you're walking into the and somebody gets in or gets out of their vehicle from an out without a state license plates. You've never seen them before, and They come up to you as you're walking by, and they say, you're a lazy bum. Well, what do you do? You think, well, I don't know this guy. He's from out of state, probably not going to see him again. You disregard it. Walk on. Well, he's got a problem, doesn't he? And move on. But what happens if you get up in the morning at the same time as your wife, and she looks over at you and says, you're a lazy bum. Same words have been said, but came from a different person. Now, does that mean it's the person? No. What did we think about the person that from the parking lot? We had a set of thoughts that reasoned it out and said, you know what, and what we were thinking, you know, we write it off. But what thoughts come to our mind when our spouse says something like that? Or a coworker says something like that? Or a friend says something like that? All of a sudden, these thoughts start coming to our head. I can't believe they did that. Well, you're a bum too. All these thoughts start coming in. So the difference is what's going on on the inside, not what's going on the outside. That's what we're going to dive into a little bit today. If we, if you and I don't or won't, take responsibility of our thoughts, then we give that responsibility to others by default. You see, our thoughts influence our emotions. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say that if you're, if you're really wanting to know how this influences things, think about politics. Take a side, whichever side you're going to be on. When you think about the prospects of the other side losing, what comes to your mind? Or the other side winning, excuse me, and your side losing? Fear kicks in. Oh my gosh, if that person gets in office, oh oh my gosh, it's going to be horrible. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Thoughts, 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 thoughts. thoughts. When in reality, Jesus is Lord. It really isn't going to matter to some degree. It isn't going to matter because he's got it all figured out and I have to trust him. See the difference in what we choose affects what we feel and therefore affects how we react. And when, when we don't take responsibility for our thoughts, we're basically giving that authority or that responsibility to somebody else. This is a great quote. It comes out of the book DNA of Relationships and it's from a book called uh, Habits of the Mind by Dr. Archibald Hart. Listen to this. Our emotions are good sources of information about what we're thinking. Our emotions are good sources of information about what we're thinking. We cannot control our emotions directly, but we can influence how we are feeling by changing our thoughts. Change our thoughts first and the desired feelings will follow. Our reactions and our emotions, our attitudes are the result of our thoughts. Let me give you an example. One of the things that can trip me up big time is when I've got an agenda that I think is going to play out and then all of a sudden it changes significantly. When Kent came up this morning, he said, hey, Joel, I want to do this and this and this. I... I didn't question that when he did it because I reasoned in my head. The thoughts going through my head was, you know what? God is speaking to him. I know he's the pastor. I've got to respect what he says, and I'm fine with it. To make a change based on what he said was no problem. But if my wife came up and said, Joel, we need to do this, or more, you need to do this, it's like, man, that, that has never really ever gone well. Um, because I started feel, feel, having that sense of being controlled. Situation happened. Now, let me back up. We're good. We've, we've worked through a lot of that stuff. We've talked about this over the years, and, and we both have gotten better at this. We even made it through raising goats. And then talk about agenda changers. Goats will do it. That's another story. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so on a couple weeks ago, we were going to have, uh, or I, I, was, I just found out I was going to speak at church. I'm going to, and um, I was at work. It's about four o'clock. I'm going to come home, and I'm going to get started on the message because I'm excited about what I think God wants to do. I get a phone call at four. Tammy says, hey, just letting you know, the bulldozer just showed up to clear out our fence rows that were damaged during the tornado. No announcement, no head no, or heads up. They just showed up. Well, instantly I'm thinking, well, gosh, we got to set up electric fence to keep, make sure everything stays in because that's not that barrier's not going to be there anymore. I'm probably going to need to stay there and help make decisions as far as where the piles need to go and work it out with my neighbor how how to do this and that, and that means I'm going to have to take off work tomorrow. And man, all of a sudden I had these thoughts hitting my head. Now, have you ever heard the phrase "Don't shoot the messenger"? She was the messenger. And these thoughts start running through my head. Well, you're not going to have to take off work, and I, I'm going to be out here by myself because everybody else has got things going on and, and all this poor me, poor me, and just thought, thought, thought just hitting my head. Two weeks before that, I, okay, let me back up. It's Tuesday morning. I have to take off work. I'm going out to, to work on that fence, and... Um, this that morning, I had been reading about this concept right here, and as I'm walking and I'm just you know, kind of you know, I'm just stewing on these thoughts, and all of a sudden the Lord reminded me: Do you remember how just a couple weeks ago you resized your ring so that your wife would know that you loved her and you valued her, and all those th- thoughts that you had when you did that? What's different? What changed. I was choosing what I was thinking. So I, I said, Lord, you're right. And so I made a conscious decision. She did not intend to mess up my day. She does respect me. She does love me. She, she always honors me and would never want to throw me off like this. By the end of the day, I, my feelings had changed and I was, I was fine. So this works, folks. I, I, just with that example Let's take a look at another example out of Genesis chapter 4. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Abel is the second. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering as fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So, let me go on. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, here's the key point of this. Abel had a component of trust and faith in his offering. He was giving the best and the fattest, the firstborn. So he's basically saying, God, I know that it makes sense for me to, to hold on to these, the, the best because that gives me better prospects for next year's crop or flock or whatever. He says, I'm willing to give that to you and put my trust in you to provide, me, f- provide for me. So there's an element of faith with Abel's offering. Cain, it doesn't appear that that was there. Because it says he just gave some. So God calls, calls Cain on this. And, and uh, he says, why are you angry and you have a downcast face? We don't know anything about what he is thinking. He's not said anything at this point. But his his face is angry and his countenance is down. I guarantee you, remember that statement? Our emotions are good indicators of the thoughts we are thinking. You know what he was thinking. They weren't good, and he's not very open to suggestions, as we'll find. God makes an interesting statement in verse 7. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? I think this statement is basically telling them, think about how you could have done this differently. And if you do it right, if you would just add a faith component, a trust component to your offering, won't you be accepted? But then he shifts gears and he says in this, he says, but if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, and you must rule over it. It's like God says, the thoughts that you're thinking right now are going to lead to some very harmful and sinful behavior if you don't take them under control. You have to rule over it. So what happens? Well, it says, we don't know how much time goes on between verse 7 and 8, but now now Cain said to Abel or to his brother Abel let's go out to the field while they were there in the field Cain attacked his brother Abel and and killed him Cain was made with the capacity to choose and take responsibility and God tried to help him shift his thinking but he did not change his mind and he pursued those thoughts and it just it ended up escalating horribly Does the same thing happen with us when we get into conflict with each other? The thoughts that we entertain and how they they bring the other person down in in our eyes. We have to take control of our thoughts. Rule over them. Another aspect of our thinking has to do with expectations. Here's a quick little story that I think helps capture um, how expectations work. Tammy and I have a friend. Her name is Carrie. Carrie lost her husband a few years ago, um, and she got remarried recently. And she posted something on Facebook that I thought was very, very good. I'm going to read it here. She asked her husband, Tim, would you rather be blind or deaf? He lovingly looks into my eyes and says, I'd rather be deaf. Long pause. I have zero idea what crazy romantic thing he's going to say next. Totally entranced. Tim says, I couldn't shoot a deer if I was blind. (laughs) Okay. Where's that expectation that Carrie has? Oh, yeah, he's going to say this. And then he says this. (laughs) Expectations. We think, like... For some reason, I think when I'm driving in Joplin that everybody's going to be respectful when they drive and that all the, all the stoplights are going to work right. And I've got those expectations here, and I go take off, and first thing, somebody cuts me off or whatever, and it's like, arr, arr, you know, they, they failed me here, and so certainly I didn't set those expectations too high. Or we, we're watching a football game, and our favorite team is playing, and, and uh, they choke on the last play of the game. Like oh 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 no. That expectation gap. Think about how we place expectations on others. Imagine that if every relationship you had, we would write out every single thing that we expected from the other person. The closest thing we have to that is is really a, a marriage vow. Other than like business contracts and stuff, those can get really, really but say marriage vows. Okay. Think about if you went to a wedding and have you ever heard the husband promise this? I will prove my commitment to you by being there every time you need to talk, every time you need assistance, every time you need a hug, etc. Have you ever heard a husband say those vows? Nope. Why? I cannot sign up for that. I can't do it. I mean, there's no way I can do it. Yet, many wives will set unwritten and unspoken expectations out of their need to feel treasured or their desire for connection. And when he isn't meeting those expectations, the fear of losing connection comes into play. How about husbands or wives? Have you ever heard a, pro- a wife promise this? I will prove that I respect you as the leader of our home by never questioning you about anything. I see some of the snickers. No wife would ever do that. Yep, get over it, Kent. (laughs) Yet many of us husbands expect our wives to just trust us with 100% and not ask any questions. And when they start asking, we fear losing control. What about pastors? What if every single one of us were to put on paper what we really expect from the pastor? And we gave this multiple page document. Okay, Pastor, here's what we expect. He wouldn't sign up for that. But it doesn't stop us from putting the expectations on him. We want you to be here for this. We want you to make sure you do this. And and oh, and don't and don't talk about that. We set those expectations right here in our minds. What about coaches? What if parents would re- put in writing everything they expect from coaches? Make sure little Johnny gets to play. They'd, no coach would ever sign up for that because they can't, they can't deliver. But that doesn't stop us from putting those expectations on them. No matter what our role, we, just, we do not have the capacity to meet everybody's expectations. of the time. Here's an eye-opening definition of stress that I thought was really good, and it ties in with expectations. Stress is the gap between what we expect from God's creation and what we're actually receiving. Since only God can meet our deepest needs, the more we look to people and things to satisfy us, the more gaps we'll have and the more our frustration will increase. That makes sense? That is the definition of stress. Driving in Joplin, perfect example. Raising goats, perfect example. <laughs> I expect them to do what I want, and they do not do what I want. <laughs> that's why we're out of them. Anyway, that's another story. That's not all why. All right, so we have to control our thoughts. Have to control our thoughts. If we would spend our time more of our time looking on setting realistic expectations for others or or maybe not even setting expectations for others, instead of focusing on how they're not meeting our expectations, perhaps our stress level would come down. Perhaps our conflict level would come down. Just something to consider. One of the things that this gets us caught up in is if only statements. If only my wife would quit nagging me, then I'd be happy. If only he would understand, I'd be happy. If only my boss would do this, then I'd be happy. If only Pastor Kent would do this, then I'd be happy. Do you realize that we are putting responsibility for our happiness on them when we do that? Do you realize that when we set people up with those kind of expectations... We are setting them up to fail because they, there's no way anybody could fulfill those. Have you ever really thought about that not being a very loving thing to do? I'm speaking to myself. I'm not, Please don't take Because I, I've seen this at work in, in our relationship, other relationships at work. Remember how we were talking about honoring other people, and that means to attach high value. And a lot of times we say, well, I'd attach high value to them, but they do this, or but they did this. There's always a but there that gets in the way. We hold those ifs and buts in our head and place those conditions on people. And we say, if only this, then we can be happy. Don Meredith, the former... Football player for the Dallas Cowboys famously said this: "If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, wouldn't it be a merry Christmas?" If we use in using if only statements and but they statements. We're giving responsibility to other people instead of taking responsibility. We have to take charge of our buttons. The buttons will always be there. The buttons will always be there. It's what do we do when it gets pushed? Back to our thoughts. You may think, well, I mean, all these thoughts just come in and I I have no control over them. I can't stop them from coming in. No, you can't stop them from coming in. Just like I had those thoughts coming into my mind about my wife. They were, I mean, it was no effort at all. Those thoughts just came naturally. I didn't have to conjure them up. But we can choose to do that. How do we know that God tells us we can do that? Let's take a look at Philippians 4, 8. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Well, but they, no, <laughs> think on these things. 2 Corinthians 10.5, where it talks about the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual. But even in the context of spiritual warfare, it says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Rule over those thoughts. Colossians 3, two. set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I was saying this in the first service. Have you ever seen a... How many remember the old TVs that had a knob that you had to turn? Young people, we probably just lost you. But they used to have these TVs that had a knob that you could set the channel with. And it was always my job as a young person to go up and change it anytime Dad wanted it changed. So be glad you got remotes now. But on that channel, you would manually turn it. And when you wanted to watch, I want to watch this, boom, I set it. I set that channel Set, you're made with the, cho- the capacity to choose. Set your mind on what you want to think about. You don't have to listen to the channel that's playing. Turn the station. In taking responsibility for our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions, we begin to control what we can control rather than trying to manipulate others to get them to do what we want. You realize that we, you know, in that, in that fear cycle, I may, I may have said this, but if it's repeat, maybe it needs to be heard. Our hurt began with us feeling disrespected or dishonored. Anytime we try to control somebody else, makes them feel disrespected or dishonored. So they're going to hurt. That's why that, it cannot stop the cycle if we just do what comes naturally. We have to take control of our thoughts and choose a better way to respond. So here is looking for love in all the wrong places. We looked at this verse last week. If you are here, this is out of the Passion Translation. And again, it talks about the nature of our conflicts actually stemming from those wants that we have. But look at how Look at how the how it, the references to thoughts. In verse 1, it says, What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you? It starts with our thoughts. It begins inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself As better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. Do you remember that that definition of stress that we just showed a little bit earlier? Let's look at that again just to kind of help wrap things up. Stress is the gap between what we expect from God's creation, what I expect from Kent, what I expect from Tammy, what I expect from anybody. The gap between what I expect from God's creation and what we're actually receiving. Since only God can meet our deepest needs, the more we look to people and the things to satisfy us, the more gaps we'll have and the more frustrations will increase. Do you remember that whole idea of contracts? That if, if I was to put everything down on paper, what I expected my wife to do, She'd never sign it because she couldn't meet it. Same thing with the the pastor. He'd never sign that paper. But do you realize in the word of God, God has promised to meet all of our needs. He has set expectations on himself and says, try me, try me. I will meet all of your needs. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. He has placed expectations on Himself to show that we can look to Him for these things instead of looking to each other. Look at the very last part of that verse in James chapter 4, verse two, where the last part of verse 2. says, And all the time you don't obtain you want, what you want because you won't ask God for it. God has laid out before us a table, um, a room, you know, just filled with all the things that, he, that we need. Whatever our need is, He is the great I am. I am what you need. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Whatever we need. He is our shelter and our help. He's our comforter and our Peace. All of our deepest needs are found in Him. All because Jesus came and died. You remember how we talked about where those fears came from? That that those fears came when Adam and Eve they were in relationship with God and had a totally uh, total communion with God, and they had no awareness of anything. I mean, they they were they were fine. But then all of a sudden, they were faced with this choice: Do I eat from that tree? of the knowledge of good and evil, or do I not? God said not to, and he says, if we do, we're going to die. He was basically saying, God was saying, if you don't eat from that tree, you're showing that you trust me, and I'm going to cover you and provide all of your needs. But if you choose to go it alone, our relationship is going to be broken, and you're going to become aware of your own vulnerabilities. And you can go on your own and try and satisfy those things on your own, but the consequences is going, going to be death. I will not be able to sustain your life anymore. And you're on your own. But God didn't want us to stay there, so he provided Jesus to come, and Jesus came as a man, and, as, and he died the death that we couldn't, that we didn't, there's no way we could pay the price for, for our sins, for that separation. And so Jesus came and paid that price, and it says in Hebrews 2:15 and we have been set free from the fear of death. So knowing that God has promised us eternal life and, and that we can have that when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives and when we fully understand that you know what it's all his grace and we have done nothing to earn anything or deserve anything from him. When we rest in that love then then that love drives out all fear. And we won't be looking to others. As much, we're still human. We will still make mistakes, but He's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess to Him. When it comes to the thoughts that we have about people, maybe we've maybe we've had maybe we've struggled with that. Maybe we haven't um, done a good job of keeping those things in check. I know I, I struggle with that daily. I have. I mean, stuff that goes on at work. I mean, it's, it's a fight. But things go a whole lot better when we control our thoughts. But maybe, you have, maybe you've not done a good job with that. Maybe you feel like, you know, you just have let, let your thoughts go and it's affected your relationships. Or maybe, maybe you've set expectations on somebody that they didn't know about and they failed. And you, and you say, well, you know, uh, and then that relationship dwindles away. Here's something that I think for us to consider as we, as we close. Hebrews, or Matthew, Hebrews, uh, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. This is Jesus talking. and He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now notice it says, if you know that they have something against you. A lot of times we we're tempted to say, you know what, I, I can't control what they're thinking. I can't do, it. you know, that, that's really their problem. But if you are reminded of somebody and you know that they have something against you, it says that going and reconciling with them is more important than bringing your offering, than worship. God places a higher priority over reconciling than he does worship. And worship's important. Is there anybody coming to your mind that you think, you know what? Maybe I need to go to them. Romans twelve eighteen says, Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. I think in the NIV it says, As far as it depends on you. We are to do everything we can to try and reconcile. It's not always going to be received. But part of it does fall on us. And maybe we need to take responsibility and say, you know what? I set unrealistic expectations for our relationship. I'll I'll take responsibility for that. Forget what they did. It's hard. Easy to say. Sorry. But focus on your part. Focus on your part. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everybody. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. So, this is a key mark of his followers. Don't want you to feel condemnation, because the scripture says, Therefore, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're all doing the best we can. But hopefully this has helped us have a better understanding, a more clear understanding of the love of God, but then also how how we have the tools to take hold of those thoughts and have better reactions as the Spirit of God leads us and gives us the strength to do so. Amen?